doing well. Um, good evening also if you are at home, which you should be if you're on that uh, camera there. And, uh, and also to the Guildford congregation if you guys are listening. Um, we just hope you uh, enjoy this tonight as you're joining us in Portsmouth. I'm just going to move this across. Fantastic. So just a quick announcement um, before we move on as well. May the 16th. I got that right. We have our gather and build night. So we're going to be um, obviously not here that night. We're going to be on Zoom. And so if you want to, and we, we hope you do want to come and be a part of this so we can, you can find out what teams to come and be a part of. You can join, um, sign up is on the website or the app. You can go and click on that, come and be a part so we know the numbers. And then um, I'm sure you'll be given a Zoom link later on in the day, is that correct? That's right. Yeah. Once, Once you've signed up, you'll get the Zoom link. So that's on May the 16th. So just if you are, get on board. Come on, let's, we all want to get on board. And I hope tonight's message will inspire us. You know, we've been learning about we are team. Pastor Stu shared about being, we are the body. Pastor Andy shared last, last week about we are the family. And tonight, I want to share about the greatest cause. Um, and I think it's going to be good. I hope to, I'm going to put that there. So need that at the moment. I hope to inspire you. Um, and you know what? Sometimes I think when the enemy comes to take someone down, doesn't he? Because he knows what's about to happen. This morning I woke up with the maddest headache I've ever had in all my life. Like you know when you can't even open your eyes, it's so like heavy. And I was like, wow, what is this? Like, and it just wiped me out for the day. But then this afternoon it just lifted, and I was like, wow, come on God. And it was like incredible. And I just think like, come on God, you've got something to say tonight that maybe the enemy doesn't want um, us to know or be inspired by. So, literally, we're going to be looking at the cause, the greatest cause. And really, what is a cause? It's this, something that which one is committed and prepared to defend or advocate. So a cause can be many things, isn't it? We see lots of causes. Today, when um, this afternoon, I, 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 there was a bit of TV on, and I noticed that there was a lot of people standing. And again, what, why you'd stand for this, this passionately, I don't know, but people haven't got things. But for football, there was this protest going on, and I'm like, wow, people are, people are on this. People are passionate about this. And um, so wherever we look, there's causes, right? You know, people, people um, wanting to stand for something. Um, many people want to fight for a cause, and I believe in fighting for good causes. I really do. You know, I, I want to stand on just, for justice for people, things like this. And it got me thinking as I was researching this topic, the more I was thinking about the greatest cause, I was thinking, wow, what, how many causes are there you know, that people live for? Because there seems to be lots. Um, and actually, I couldn't work it out in the world because the statistics was through the roof. Start, especially when I started looking at charities around the world, it actually said that, like on the internet, not that the internet knows everything, but Google's pretty good. It said, um, it's, it's, um, you can't number it because it's too, like, there's too many. There's too many different charities in various places that you couldn't collate all the information. But in the UK, roughly, um, charities alone, there's nearly 357,000 operational charities. Isn't that amazing? 357,000 operational charities for people wanting to do good for other people. I think that's incredible. When I read that, I thought, wow, that's a lot of people. And you, you know when you read the King James Bible, it often uses the word charity for the word love. Because charity in, the, in, in that is love. So when, when we read 1 Corinthians 13 in the King James Bible, often the word is charity. You know, not, not, not work the word love. And I thought, wow, if you put that together, that's 357,000 love movements of people wanting to reach out and show love to someone else. And I thought, that is incredible. Um, so a charity is usually established to meet a need. The motivation behind is normally love, right? And I'm not talking about just charities because this was the thing that I could collate information about. But it's usually established because of a love movement, right? It, it, very rarely do you see a charity thinking, I 
I don't like that person, I'm going to start a chat. That's weird. It's usually because there's a need, isn't there? There's something that is going on, and someone says, this needs to be met. We need to start something, whether it be um, against the disease, you know, whether it be against poverty, whether it be against um, you know, human trafficking. There's a need, and someone who's righteous enough to stand up and says, I believe that this need needs to be met. And so, the, so there, there is a cause, and the cause comes the effect that someone stands up and fights for it. One of these that we'll all be familiar with, that for me, working from a, from a children, I used to work for a children's charity that um, stood out was Bernardo's, Dr. Bernardo's. Everyone know who Bernardo's is, yeah? And I think he's, his story's incredible. You know, this is a, a doctor. He was Dr. Bernardo's, an incredible man, um, and he established all these ragged schools back in the Victorian era. You know, he, he, he didn't plan on that, but he saw a need. You know, the guy was training to be a doctor, became a doctor, stepped into, I think it was the East End of London, and noticed homelessness. Children, poverty everywhere, and homeless children everywhere. And he said, he didn't turn a blind eye to it, but he said, there's a need, and his heart felt the need to meet it. And so there was an effect. And this guy changed a lot of people's lives. A lot of kids that could have ended up with nothing. I think by the time he had died, 60,000 children had come through and been gotten, given a better life. Isn't that incredible? 60,000 young people, because of what one man saw, saw a need and decided to take a stand against it. That was, there, was a, there was a cause there, and he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a way. Do you know what I love about it as well? We, some, some of his principles are still used today. He was the one that like, in, influenced fostering. He said that a child shouldn't grow in a home. A child should, in, in a children's home, they should grow within a family unit. Isn't that incredible? And that, that now we take that principle, and it's in society, isn't it, that you know, getting a child inside a home. In fact, there's not many homes around nowadays because of that very principle, that, that kids are being brought up. In, and I think that's great. Um, and I think it's, a, it's a, an incredible thing, but again, it's not the greatest cause. I'm just trying to give a, take us on a journey of knowing what cause really means and how it can be effect, effectual in lives. And that got me onto the next thing. What's the oldest cause? I always like little bits of information like this. And it's funny, there is actually a charity still established now that was, which was started in the fifth century. Can you imagine that? And it's a, it's a school. So I looked at it and thought, okay, it's a school. Not really the kind of cause that's moved, but it's still now, I think it's something in Cambridge or somewhere, there is a school that was established in the fifth century that's still now funding and running as a charity. I'm like, that is incredible. But one that we'll all be familiar with is St. John's Ambulance. Everyone's familiar with this. Um, I think they've been doing their thing for 140 years, but actually date back um, to 1090. 1090 is when they set up in Jerusalem a hospital for free medical care um, for pilgrims. I think that's incredible, and that's still running now. A cause still established on its principles and running through, and I, I love this. I think that's incredible that there is so many causes, and what it got opened my eyes as I was looking at this is there are so many causes. There are so many things out there, charities, try, people trying to do good. But what's the greatest cause? I don't believe any of these are the greatest cause. I believe in them, and I believe in good. But I believe in the greatest cause, which is this, John 3.16. Very can be oversaid scripture, but just because it's oversaid doesn't mean it's not true. We have to take hold of it just like it's being spoken to us for the very first time. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. To me, this is the greatest cause that God looked upon humanity and made you his greatest cause and said, that's going to be everything that I put my attention, time and energy in, that they would know me as I want to know them. Oh, come on, this is God's heartbeat, that he gave his son because he looked at us as the greatest cause. 
And for us, we need to now turn back to him and realise that we are his hands and feet and that we need to look to him for everything. You know, it says uh, it, it, that we would not perish. It says that everyone who believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Isn't that an incredible thing? That It's so, so easy to look over, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, God to love the world. You can, you can just blow it off straight away in the next scripture. But we have eternal life now. And we're not going to perish. That's a great promise. And it's a promise that the enemy doesn't want anyone to know. But it's a promise that God has given because he cares for us. And I think for us, we need to now be in the hands and feet of God. We need to take on this cause, the greatest cause. How do we do this? And I think it's simple, taking the Great Commission seriously. Taking the Great Commission seriously. Not like it's pen to paper, but it's a life needed to be lived. It's the culture and heartbeat of who we are. When we go into the streets, we don't just see people and think, I've got to get to the next place, but we stop and think, what is the greatest cause? The greatest cause is that this person walking past me, this person walking past me, the person in the shop could be facing eternal separation. And it's quite somber to think about, isn't it? It's quite a whew, like responsibility. But I think it's a joy as well. You know, Matthew 28, 19 to 20 says, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. And I believe that every cause should have an effect, right? We hear this, the, the saying cause and effect. Well, what is the effect of us taking this seriously? Well, the reality of it is that we will be seeing people being baptized. We will be seeing disciples being made. And we will be seeing people obeying the things of God. If we took hold of it seriously and said, I'm going to make this my mandate to go and see in my world to make disciples, to take the cause of Christ wherever I go. You know, let's not just put all our efforts into temporary causes. Because they are temporary. I do keep getting this picture, especially over the last week, of one day facing, especially because of the teachings that Pastor Annie's sharing about, you know, we are going into be one day in heaven and there will be rewards. But I keep getting this picture of me standing there thinking, everything I lived for just, just disappeared like that. Everything I worked for, this, this earthly stuff, is not going to be there in eternity, you know, unless it's serving it for, unless we're doing it for God, unless we're doing the things of God, you know, serving earthly causes are great but do they have eternal principles do they do they carry on you know that's what that's just what i keep thinking and i keep seeing seeing myself one day looking back thinking i spent all my time on that when i should have been focusing on this i should have been focusing on caring for people more loving people more reaching out to people more rather than caring for what i was trying to establish it's great to stand up for good causes and be a voice for those who don't have one but we can't let it take all our attention um, from the greatest cause, which I believe is re people receiving eternal life, freedom, deliverance, healing, and everything that God has for them. I want everyone to receive that. I've received that. You guys have received that. We've received that, right? I mean, we've gone, I go to bed at night with peace. And sometimes we can take that for granted because we think we're so used to it. But like, the world is falling apart and they know not, they don't know peace. See, without God, you can merely only satisfy the senses. But when you have God, the satisfaction comes from the inside. 
regardless of what the senses are saying. That's a really good thought to understand. So often, trying to do good causes externally, the world lives like that, satisfying momentarily things, like, oh yeah, I felt good to do that today. But actually, serving God's purposes, you get an internal satisfaction. It's not about whether you look good doing it, or, or it's about how you, what you've got already on the inside of who you are. And I believe the greatest cause should have the greatest effect. It should. The greatest cause should be having the greatest effect on everything we're doing. It's so often that I see this, and it's sad to think that we do see this, but people being quiet, you don't really know them, and then they get a voice for one thing, this so-called cause that they feel like they've got a voice for now, and they become the evangelist for that. And you're thinking, never saw you like that with God. Like, you never had that voice when it was thing. But it's because, and I don't get why that is. We should be that passionate about the things of God. Not, not just the things of this world, you know? Yeah. It's good to stand up for good things, I get that. But we should be more passionate about the greatest thing than we are about these other things, because these other things, in the light of God in eternity, don't mean as much, right? Am I, am I right. yeah, it's true, right, yeah? So I want to be more passionate than I am about God than I am about anything else. I want to support other things, I want to love upon people, but I want Jesus to be the thing that I'm running after more than anything else. Yeah. And there's three things I think we can do, or three things that I want to, want to say regarding this. And the first one is his cause over my cause. So in order to follow and support a cause, we would usually need to lay down something, right? Desires, our desire for the cause's desire. If I wanted to see something established, I couldn't carry on trying to establish my own thing because that won't get established. Do you understand what I'm saying? We need to be, if we're going to establish something for God, we need to be laying down what we are, laying down our desires, laying down our feelings, emotions, all those things. Romans 12.1 says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. I love that. And we've got to be willing to do that. Why? Because of all he's done for us. You know, we need to understand, first and foremost, what he's done for us. And that comes through discipleship in our own understanding. Understanding all the things we have, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. That should be enough to lay down all that old stuff. Because when you have been given peace by God, you can't buy that with any worldly treasure. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding is ours what? In Christ Jesus. Come on, isn't that a great promise? Isn't that such a brilliant promise for this world that's walking around in complete disarray? That I keep getting this picture as well, that people stood on the doorstep of hell, but heaven's doorstep's just one step away here. That all it is is that, and they're in. And all it is in between is us being there, being a support, letting Jesus live in out of us and, 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 and inviting them. Am I, is everyone going to come? Well, the Bible says no, but actually it's right for us to stand in the gap and say, come on, let's live for God with all we've got by laying down our own desire, laying down our own emotions and will. And again, we must be willing to lay it down. Matthew 16, 24 says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. Oh, it sounds harsh, doesn't it? Like, oh, Jesus, I want to do my thing. Like, what? I've got, to take, I've got to lay it down. But do you know what? There's joy in following him. There's a great... I can't explain it. But I would rather follow him and trust his ways than I would ever want to follow my own desires and ways because they, they only led to destruction. But his way leads to life and peace and all the good things that he has for us. 
So if we want to see the greatest effect of the kingdom of God, then we must be willing to lay aside our own way to follow him. We must allow God's path to be the path we're walking and following and his desires to become our desires. Isn't that a funny thing that actually when I got saved, I came in, tracksuit boy, little bit chavvy, hello, how are you doing kind of thing. And I had this bad mentality, really. I wanted God, but I, I, I didn't, I don't know, my thoughts were all over the place. But what happened as I journeyed with God, I started to love things that I never loved before. I couldn't walk past people in the street who were homeless without feeling this pulling and like, oh God, I need to do something. Never used to care about that. Why? Because as you grow with him, his desires become your desires. As you go into the word of God, his word becomes the very word that you're living out and it's life and it breathes. You know, Jesus would never walk past a homeless man without doing something because he was, he, 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 he was drawn to that stuff. He met the needs of every person. And as I'm doing it now, I'm thinking, how is this happening to me? You know, was I, did I go on a one, two, three discipleship course? No, I just started reading his word. And I became completely saturated in it to the point where I, his word became my word and I started walking in it. So again, it's that his desires for our desires. If we're not willing to lay down our desires, then how can his desire be fulfilled? How can the greatest course and the mandate that we're living for for him ever be fully fulfilled? It, it probably won't, that's the reality. Um, Again, like I said about Dr. Bernardo, you have to be willing to lay down that doctorship, that, 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 that calling he had as a doctor. You have to see that being almost laid down, which would have been a hard thing, you know what I mean? Like, he, he, he was a doctor. You're thinking he probably had his, plan, his life planned out, all this kind of stuff. He had to be willing to lay that down to see 60,000 young children have a better life. And one of his mottos was that no child should be turned away. Oh. Come on, isn't that our motto that no one, isn't that God's motto? No one should be turned away. No matter where they've come from, what they've done, you know, what their past says, no one should be turned away. I love that, but it requires us to be sacrificial in our lives. Um, which is quite good with this next verse, Matthew 16, 25. It says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Isn't that awesome? Makes no sense, does it, Scripture? Sometimes God's so confusing with the way he lives. You think, how does that, how does that make sense, Lord? But I'd rather trust his things, his, his way than my way, and it will make sense on the journey. I always find that as you journey with God, it starts to make sense as you walk, but it requires faith to step out and just trust him. And then on the journey, you start to see it. You know, the more I try to hold on to my life, the more mess I make. The more I let go and let him, the, the more beautiful it becomes. I have no idea how that works, but it works. Yeah. And the less we have control over it, the better. Um, and I'm speaking to myself when I say that because it's so often, and I say it, I say it to people all the time, so often when I think, I know how to sort this out. You, I've got a week's worth of trying to sort it out now because I'm like, I've mucked it up, I've made the wrong choice. There. You, you just, I just do it wrong. I'm not as good as God, right? No one is. So I'd rather trust his way. We're not subject to worldly ways of living. The world's ways is self. The kingdom's way is selfless. We need to die to self. And we have, right? When we died on the cross with Christ, we rose again in the burial of, of the baptism and we rose to newness of life. That isn't just a splishy splash ceremony. That's a, you died and you rose to newness of life. You know, when I was baptised, cigarettes, I went in smoking, I came up never smoked again. That's a picture of the new life coming out right there. Like I, I, I went in, came out and I didn't feel the need to smoke again. That's not normal, is it? I mean, like most people, you've, and, I, and I just know that actually it's so important. That baptism is so, so important because it's actually a picture of you dying and rising to your new life and walking in the newness of who you are in Christ. 
So if you want to find your life, we must be willing to lay it down. Um, John the Baptist said it brilliantly, didn't he? He must, in John 3.30, says, he must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. And that's the, let that be the sound of our, our, our minds, that we need to become less and less in us, and he needs to become more and more in us. Let him be seen, and let, let us not be seen. Um, Matthew, again, Pastor Andy shared this this morning, Matthew 6, 19 to 21, says, Do not store up for yourself treasures here on earth, where moth and eat and rust destroy them, where thieves break in and steal. Store your, your treasures in heaven, where moth and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there your desires of your heart will also be. I love that that we shouldn't be having our focus on earthly things. Though we have earthly things. You know, what I'm saying is, like, you don't walk around ignoring everything. That would be weird. We, we, we have a job and you get paid money, you have a house, all those things. But don't let that be the desire of our heart, that, that we're living for those things. Let's be living for heavenly things, heavenly reward. Pushing for the greatest cause, that souls being saved, that lives being transformed. And I'm not talking about, and I've done this, and it went wrong terribly, preaching the gospel over like a pub counter and feeling like you need to bash people with scripture. But letting your love being poured out upon people. The most unlovable people can be loved by God. So let the love of God pour out upon them. You know, because if you're laid down and he's laid up, you ain't got to worry about how annoying they can be. Because it's not you anymore, it's him in you. And he loves everyone, every single person he loves. You know, so it doesn't matter what they've done, how annoying they can be in the natural. God loves them and wants to pour out his love upon them. But it comes from a submitted heart. Okay, so that's the first point. And I think it's probably one of the most important ones, his cause over, over our cause. We have to realise that we can no longer live, but Christ now lives in us. You know, it's him. And for me, I, I think it fundamentally when people say, how did it work? How did that happen for you? How did you get free so quickly? Because I took hold of it very quickly that I no longer lived very quickly realised that it's Christ in me, not me. Yeah. And it's that ability to, to, to just let go. I didn't want to hold on to that rubbishy life anymore. I let go of it very quickly and I took hold of what God had. Um, and so that's what we need to do on a daily basis. And the next one, which is all about us as a, as a body, which Pastor Shu shared, shared about and, and Pastor Andy shared about last week as well, but, but I call it unity in the house. Um, all great causes start and establish when people are on board, right? In one accord. Um, Jesus spoke this scripture and he was actually speaking to, I think the religious people were accusing him of having the demonic force inside of him and saying, oh, it must be Satan doing this. And it said, he said this back to them, a kingdom divided by civil war will collapse. Similarly, a, familiar, a family splintered by feuding will fall apart. Isn't that so true? A family splintered by feuding will fall apart. Yeah. So if we're to see the effect of being the expression of the kingdom of God here, we have to be united. We cannot be divided in our walk. And a body functions when every member does its part. That's such a crucial understanding that, that we cannot be divided in our walk. Because what will happen is the enemy gets in and the house becomes two different things and it becomes a mess. If my leg decided to be an arm, I've got a problem. Because I'm like, well, hold on, I've got two arms and that isn't going to work because I'll be like, that wouldn't work. The body needs to function as a whole for, in order for everything to work and move and have its being. And we need to realise that. Um, 1 Corinthians 12, 26 says, If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honoured, all the parts are glad. Isn't that great? That we should be cheering each other on in each area. Not looking, think, oh, how come he got that? That's insecurity. That needs to be binned at the door. 
That's that, 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 that. We don't need that in this, in, in this body. We don't need to be looking at ourselves thinking, we're oh, I'm not good enough. You are good enough in Christ. You have everything you need in Christ. You're more than conquerors in Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Come on, you have everything. Yeah. If anyone has reason to be insecure, it would be me. My life was a mess growing up. I was the most insecure, fragile child you'd ever see in all your life. Probably needed to be taken out of my family, realistically. But yet in him, I have all I need. I am more than a conqueror in Christ who strengthens me. That's the word of God thriving and living out of me. Come on, we need to look in the mirror of who we are and say, together we can conquer this. Together, the body will establish great things. A movement. The likes of which the south coast of Portsmouth has never seen. Do you know what I mean? As a united church comes together. Oh, I can see it. Can you see it? Yeah. Come on, this is going to be awesome. Amen. And the early church, when you think of it, they, they transformed that area that they were living. Right across the, the southern European, um, you know, the Mediterranean. That, the place was turned upside down. And so often you think, well, how did that happen? Well, often when I read the book of Acts, the thing that jumps out to me is one accord. One accord. One accord. The problem is with society today, everyone's selfish. Not us, but the world. The world is a selfish society. Everyone wants to take, take, take. But the church shouldn't be like that. The church should be cheering each member on. When kids' church is celebrating, we're celebrating with it. When someone's being saved in the main hall, we're celebrating and shouting with it. You know? We're thriving and joining in together. You know, Acts 1.14 says this, They all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with women and, and, the, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Acts 2.1, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And then Acts 5.12, it says, And through the hands of all the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And there's many more in the book of Acts. You'll see it, that they were all in one accord. And I believe that's so important for anything in life. You can't even have a normal charity established if you've got other people wanting to establish a different vision within that thing. That doesn't work, does it? You all have to be in one accord. And what's the one accord? I believe it's the mandate of seeing people's lives being saved, being discipled, being baptised, and being taught the word of God so that they can walk in the truth of who they really are. I believe it's, that should be the, the heartbeat of all of us. You know, no matter what, what, what you do in church. One of my greatest moments of, of worshipping God and understanding my calling was cleaning toilets. It makes no sense, but I was an intern and I used to think, oh no, Friday's come, toilet cleaning the duty. And it used to like be one of those, you think, right, here we go. And you'd start, but like halfway through like the year, I started to love it. I'm like, God, I'm doing this for you. And it's like this revelation of it doesn't matter what position you have in the body. It's all under him. And it blew my mind. And from that moment on, it, it was like it was great. I, don't, I didn't mind doing anything, you know. And one of those other jobs, the banners. The banners, on the, that can be one of those jobs. You, when people can, you do the banners, ah, oh, it's one of those, isn't it? You've got to walk around the whole building, great. But you know what? When you get the revelation of doing it for God, it's fine. Because actually, God, I'm doing this for you. I'm being part of the functioning body today, and I'm doing what, what needs to be done. Right. And when we get that revelation, it brings unity that actually we're all together in this, right? We're not trying to puff our chest and look at me over here. I'd rather, I would rather be unseen than I am seen. That's my honest opinion. That is me. I would rather do things unseen than I would have to be seen. That's just my natural personality. God would have it that I have to stand here and speak. But God's awesome. He puts us in places where um, we're in weakness, right? So that his strength can be manifested. That's cool. I'm good with that. But I loved those moments when I was cleaning the toilet because I felt like I was so close to God, worshipping him in the way in which I was living and doing, doing that. 
which is a strange story. I don't know why that came out, but yeah, there we go. Um, next point. So that's the first one, unity. The next thing is the joy, which leads on to this, really, joy of serving. Um, and, and isn't it such a great joy when, I don't know, you get hold of serving God? For me, at first it can be a bit like, oh. But then, you, as I said, you, it, there's something about it that, that brings more satisfaction than anything this world can bring. Um, Matthew 20, 28 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus himself, our great example, didn't come to be, you know, hello, I'm Jesus, bow to me. He came to serve, in fact, wash the disciples' feet. We see him doing this. He came to serve humanity. Why? Because right back to the beginning, God so loved the world. He was our great, we are his greatest cause. And he wanted to come and die for us. It was his pleasure to do it. We'll read that in Hebrews 12 too. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion. Isn't that awesome? Love that. He's a champion. He is a champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him. He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he's seated at the place of honour besides God's throne. Isn't that awesome? That because of the joy awaiting him, going to the cross. He was so, wow, that's, that's amazing. He disregarded its shame. Put it aside, why? Because you're his greatest cause. He looked upon each and every single one of you. In how he does it, I don't know, but he's above all things. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. He's, he's omnipresent, he knows all things, he's everywhere. He saw you before anything. I don't get how God works with time and all that stuff, but what I do know is that when he went to the cross, he had his eyes on you. And he said, I'm going to do this because I love them so much. Not as a people, as an individual. John Talbot, he loved you so much that he went to the cross. If it was only for you, he would have done it. If it was only for you, he would have done it. And I love that. I absolutely love that that, that, that Jesus was willing to do that. And there's always a joy awaiting us when we're willing to lay down our lives and decide to serve the purposes of God. Because Jesus said there was a joy that was going to come from it. And I think that's amazing. Now he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And I'm thinking to myself, and I, my honest experience is that there is always a joy in serving God. It's not always a physical joy sometimes, but there's something that happens on the inside that breaks out in the physical. It's almost like when I say to people, oh, yeah, we're there at 7 a.m. We haven't been for a while, I know that, but we're there at 7 a.m. And, and one guy said to me, in Sunday a day of rest? And I was like, he wasn't a Christian. I was like... Yeah, but it is like, I can't explain it. It is a wreck. I don't go in there thinking this is hard work. I go in knowing we're serving God. I love it. I think it's a, it's a great joy. Um, and I suppose the things of God don't make sense to people that aren't close to him. But it, it should be a joy to serve God. Not something that we're begrudgingly doing. Sure. Colossians 3, 23 to 24 says this. Work willingly at whatever you do. And Paul's actually speaking to people who are slaves here. Uh, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people remember the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that mark that and the master you are serving is Christ isn't that great there that's a great thing to stand upon right there as I said cleaning the toilets standing on the stage doing the techie stuff whatever it may be you're doing it for Christ it can seem insignificant it could seem almost like I'm not being seen here but God sees all things he sees all things, and he's a rewarder. And I think that's really important for us to truly understand, because sometimes jobs can seem insignificant in the natural. 
but don't fry for a job to be seen because you're doing it unto God. Everything is done to our master Jesus. Yeah. And actually, whether you're putting the chairs out faithfully, you're going to be rewarded because our God is a, a rewarder of those who, who seek him and do things for him. So we need to be joyful in what we do. You know, putting the chairs out, it's another one on Sunday. Richard, you're, it can be tedious. Those chairs, there's a lot of chairs there on the normal Sunday morning. But do you know what? My heart, I learned to love doing it. I learned to be excellent in it and getting the lines all lined up and doing that and making sure, being a bit weird with it. I got over the top of it, I think. But it, it, it's like you start to love doing it because you realise you're doing it for God. Not to impress people around you, but doing it because it's God's house. And, and that's serving. It should be a joy. So I think it starts like this, that we need to understand that our lives can't no longer carry on in the way they were. We need to lay down our cause for his cause. Say, God, let your kingdom come here on earth. Let your will be done. Like, I'm serving your purposes. And together as a body, when we're all in one accord, this movement can happen in an incredible way. And then together, as, a ser as we're serving, we're serving with a joyful heart, knowing who we're serving. Yeah. Amen. We're serving our king, our master. Is that awesome? Yes. Praise God. Let's just pray. Father, we just thank you for your goodness tonight. We thank you, Lord, that it's you that we serve, that you are our master and we love you, that your cause is the greatest cause, humanity that needs to come back to you, a people that are lost, Heavenly Father. We just want to um, let it become our heartbeat, that we would reach out and be your hands and feet to this lost world, Lord, that we would be um, your disciples and that we would live um, to please you more than ourselves, Heavenly Father, that we would live to bring your gospel to every area of our life, Heavenly Father. We just pray and bless your name in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Fantastic. I think any announcements, Stu? Oh, yeah. Thank you online for tuning in. Catch you guys soon.